Hello, church. My name is Andrew, and we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures from John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. Uh, for those that are joining us online and in person, welcome. My name is Jay. I'm one of the pastoral staff here, and I'll be uh, delivering the word of God today. Now, um, once in high school... Uh, I, you know, in the, in the 19, late 1900s, uh, I almost joined a cult, okay. Um, so I, I got something in the mail and um, it was labeled personality test. And it was like, oh, do you want to like know what your personality is? I was like, oh, sure. I want to know what my personality is. So I, I filled it out uh, and then, you know, I had to snail mail it back. Uh, and then about a week later, I got another uh, mail and then it had instructions like, oh, come and receive the results of your personality test. And, you know, and, like, I was, like, I was so excited. So I, I followed the directions, um, you know, like, literally I had to follow, printed out directions to where this location was. I got there, and it said Church of Scientology. And I was, like, oh, what? that's weird. Like, why am I at the Church of Scientology? And then I, I met this guy, and then he started, you know, telling me, like, oh, this is what you need to change. And, like, we can help you change that by being hooked up to this machine. I was, like, what, what's going on? I had no idea what the Church of Scientology was, but I was, like, okay, this seems weird. So I stopped. And I was, like, okay, I got to go. And so I left. Um, but, you know, the reason why I did this was because I was so in intrigued and interested in knowing what my personality was. I, I wanted to know who I am. And I think there's a, uh, you know, we as a society, we're, we're a little bit obsessed with personality tests, right? We, we ask each other uh, what our Enneagram number is. And you're like, oh, you're a three. Oh, you're not a three. You're a four. You know, like we, we, we talk like, you know, and then we talk about Myers-Briggs, like, oh, I'm an ENFP or you're an INSJ or what, whatever the case is. But we like to kind of determine who you are based on the results of these tests. And the reason why some of these tests, I think, in, in some ways are a little bit um, uh, not correct is because you answer questions based on what you think you are or what you kind of want to be. You know, um, and I don't know if this is the result of the pandemic or not, but I, I, I realize that I'm an introvert. I, I'm not an extrovert. But in all my tests, I would always answer that I'm like, oh, yeah, I like being around people, you know. Uh, and, and you kind of just answer these tests based on what you think you are. And, and oftentimes, uh, our identity is determined or, and, you know, kind of the world likes to tell us, like, oh, just be who you are. You know, you, you are what you want to be, you know. But the reality is, is our identities are determined not based on what we think we are, um, but in many ways, how others perceive us and view us. Uh, how, how others view and, and, and see who we are really is a, a definitive marker of how we view our identity. 
Uh, and I think before social media, uh, many ways in which we are able to kind of form our identity is uh, how our people that are close to us described us or viewed us. Right? Our, our, our parents, our family members, our siblings, our close friends, or people in, in our community. But now, because of social media, a lot of times we find our identity based on how uh, people we barely know view us. You know, so the, the determination of our identity is based on the comments we receive or, or the likes or how many likes we receive or, or how many reposts that we have. And, and in so many ways, uh, now we in our society, our identity is determined by what we think the people outside of us, how they view us. But I think in reality, um, our identity is very key and very important in us, for us to really live our lives according to how God has created us. Right? I, I think it's, there's a, a, a saying or there's a sentiment where people say that you can't really live your life until you really know who you are. Right? So uh, when you're young and you think you know who you are, you, you know, you Older people look down at, like, you know, college students or high school students. You're like, you don't even know who you are yet, you know. And so there's this idea and sentiment that you must really truly understand who you are before you are able to truly live your life. And so in this sermon series, as we're talking about what it means for us to live our eternal lives, uh, live our lives in, in the new identity and the new life that we have in Christ Jesus, I think it's very important for us to understand what our identity is, uh, how our identity is formed, and how our identity is determined. And all this, uh, our identity is formed and determined based not upon just who we are, uh, but there is an external factor that really uh, creates a new identity and new creation in us, and that is the identity of Christ the Messiah. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this passage that we just read. Um, and in this passage, we, re we really read the testimony of John the Baptist as he identifies and as he uh, announces uh, who Jesus is. And the implication of Jesus' identity and who he is has a drastic and very important uh, uh, marker on our identity and who we are. So today we're going to look at this passage. We're going to look at how uh, in order for us to truly know uh, our identity, we must first know the identity of Jesus. And we're going to read, uh, as we read this passage, we're going to see that John the Baptist makes an, an announcement of who Jesus is and how that affects us. So we're going to look at three points and three announcements. The announcement of a sacrifice. And then we're going to look at the announcement of Jesus' baptism. And lastly, we're going to look at the announcement of our baptism. So the first point is uh, the announcement of a sacrifice. Uh, the first testimony recorded in the book of John comes from John the Baptist. And if you were here last week, we talked about how the gospel of John is in some way just a list of testimonies and the encounters that people had with Jesus the Messiah. And after the, uh, the introduction of John chapter 1, uh, what we have is the first testimony, the first outside testimony of someone who is uh, uh, talking about who Jesus is. And so right away we have this encounter or this event of John the Baptist as he baptizes Jesus Christ. And just for clarification, um, in case you're like me, like I was always confused. Who's, I thought John the Baptist wrote the book of John, but John the Baptist is not the author of this book. John the disciple is the author of this gospel. John the Baptist is somebody else. He is uh, the offspring of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Uh, uh, they are related to Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Um, so John the Baptist is actually the cousin of Jesus. Uh, he is the older cousin of Jesus. And this is an interesting fact because uh, when John in this per, uh, particular event sees Jesus walking towards him, 
um, he, he shows a, a, a quite a, a reverence and deference to who Jesus is. He says, uh, he was before me, uh, which biologically was not true, right, because he was born before Jesus. But he was speaking of Jesus in this way because he was uh, talking about Jesus not just as Jesus the human being, but Jesus the Son of God, the one who was in existence even before the creation of the world because he was the one who created the world. So John the Baptist, he sees Jesus and he makes this announcement because the religious leaders and the Pharisees had, uh, you know, sent some representatives because they wanted to know who this John, John the Baptist was. Because here's John the Baptist, he's, you know, like just eating locusts and honey and, you know, living like a wild man. And, and he's baptizing a bunch of people to, uh, to repent. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So these religious leaders, they wanted to check out who this John the Baptist was. They sent some representatives and they said, who are you? Are you the Messiah? And he says, I am not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. And, and, and then he sees Jesus walking. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes, the sin of the, who takes away the sin of the world. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in John's first testimony of who Jesus is, he makes this announcement that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And that as a Lamb of God, he would take away the sin of the world. Now for the religious people and for Jewish people at that time, this, this title or this, uh, this phrase, Lamb of God, would, would not be confusing. To us in our day, it might be a little bit confusing, right? Like what does it mean for him to be the Lamb of God? But for the people of, of, of that time, the Jewish people, and especially the religious leaders, they understood that the title, Lamb of God, was referring to a sacrifice. It would take them all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, in their disobedience, they had now fallen into sin. Uh, they are now, uh, uh, in, you know, their eyes have been opened to the fact that they were naked and ashamed. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife Garments of skin and clothed them. Uh, this is the first instance where a sacrifice was made. Where an animal was slaughtered uh, and clothes were made out of the animal's skin. And God makes this sacrifice to cover the, sh uh, the, the shame and nakedness of Adam and Eve. So when John makes this announcement, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is in reference to this event that happened way back in Genesis. That as God sacrificed an animal to cover the sin and or the shame and the nakedness of Adam and Eve, now what we are beholding is the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who we later find out will now hang naked upon a tree to take away our sin. Not only that, what we understand as Jesus is announced as the Lamb of God is that he would be a, a sacrifice and a substitute in our place. Um, Abraham and Isaac, if you guys don't know the story, uh, I'll be real quick with it. Abraham, uh, he is, uh, you know, makes covenant with God. God promises Abraham that he would have a son and that his son would be the one who would bless the entire generations of the world. He finally has a son at his old age of you know, like 100 or 99, I forget exactly. I think it was 99. He has a son. His name is Isaac. And then God commands him to go up to the mountain, uh, Mount Moriah and to sacrifice his son, his only son. And at the moment before he's about to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord comes, stops him and says, stop. Instead, replace that sac your son with a ram that is caught in a thicket. And so they, uh, he offers up that sacrifice of the ram. And that ram is the substitute in the place of Isaac. 
And for the people of God as they, and the Jewish people and the religious leaders, when they hear this title, he is the Lamb of God, what comes to mind is that here is someone who would become our substitute, who would be the sacrifice in our place. And especially for the Jewish people, the Lamb of God is in reference to the Passover Lamb. And for, uh, you know, during this time, this is around the time of the Passover, they would understand that John was making a connection to Jesus, the Messiah, with the Passover lamb. And this Passover feast is, an, uh, is a time when the people of God, the people of Israel, they were reminded and they celebrated what happened to them in Egypt. That as they sacrificed a lamb and then they, they painted the blood of the lamb on their, do, uh, their do, the doorpost of their home, that when the angel of death flew across uh, Egypt, that they would pass over the homes that had the blood painted upon the doorpost. So as the angel of death passed over the doorpost, um, that death would not come upon them, that it would pass over them. And so for Jesus, as the Lamb of God, what it signified was that he would be the one who would be sacrificed so that we no longer would have to experience death. That he would be the ultimate sacrifice. And on a daily basis for the people of Israel at this time, um, there would be temple sacrifices that would occur so that we would have mediation or that, they would, uh, be, that we would have, be able to have the ability to come into the very presence of God. So with just this one single phrase that John the Baptist makes, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What the readers and the people at that time would instantly understand is that this Jesus, the Messiah, what John is announcing or proclaiming or testifying about Jesus is that he is not just an ordinary human being, but that he would be the one who would be our sacrifice, our substitute, the one who would take away our death, the one who would take away the sin of the world. And now even the phrase, who, the one who takes away the sin of the world is very interesting because for the people of Israel, uh, they were very, um, you know, they were all about Israel. You know, like in order for you to be, you know, part of uh, the people of God, you, you got to be an Israelite. You either had to convert or you had to be born into, into Israel. And so when John says that he will take away the sin of the world, he now makes this announcement that this Messiah is not just a Messiah for the Israelites, that he is not just the anointed one for the Jews, but that he is the Messiah of all humanity. That just as Adam was the representative of, of all humanity as he was the first one created, now Jesus is the new, better Adam who would now be the representative of all humanity and be sacrificed to take away the sin of the world. And, and this is the very basis of the identity of Jesus in which we find our identity. Now, in order for Jesus to, to fully identify uh, uh, and represent us, he had to go through um, the, the sacrament of baptism. And that leads us to our second point, the announcement of Christ's baptism. And, and now I'm going to get a little bit more technical here. So if, you know, try to follow along. Hopefully I, I do a good job of explaining this. But the act of baptism, and we experienced that last week, um, is a public announcement of one's faith. And in this passage... We have Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And in this baptism of Jesus, uh, what we have is really the announcement of Jesus' identity. Now, the word baptism uh, is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo or bapto, right? 
And oftentimes when we have transliterations of words, it's probably because it means there's no word in the native language uh, to describe this other, other word. So baptism is, uh, we, you know, in the English language, we didn't know how to describe it. We didn't know how to fully capture uh, the, the real meaning of what the Bible was describing when it talked about baptizo or bapto. Um, the word bapto literally means to dip. Uh, the word baptizo means to immerse. Uh, but it's not just what this, uh, you know, when we talk about baptism in the Bible, that's not only what it's referring to. There is a metaphorical definition that the word baptism is referring to. Now, in order for us to understand this, uh, we have to kind of study the word baptism and the way that it is used in other contexts outside of Scripture. Uh, one of the biblical scholars um, kind of, it, it, he, he, you know, talks about this Greek poet and physician named Nicander. Um, and he uses the word bapto and baptizo in describing a method of making pickles or pickled vegetables. All right. So he says, first, the vegetable should be dipped or bapto in boiling water. Then the vegetable is baptizo or immersed in vinegar solution. Right? And the reason why this is an uh, uh, you know, important uh, thing for us to understand is that the act of baptism is not just the idea of or, you know, dipping something, but it's what happens after or what it signifies. Because when you pickle a vegetable the identity of that vegetable changes. Like, you know, cucumbers are, are, are good, kind of, right? It's kind of refreshing. But when you pickle a cucumber and it becomes a pickle, it's funny. You pickle the cucumber to become a pickle. But when you pickle an onion, it doesn't become a pickle. I, I, anyways, um, <laughs> when, you, when a cucumber is pickled and it becomes a pickle, it's way better than a cucumber, right? It's delicious. Cucumber's good, but pickles, oh my goodness, right? You put a cucumber in, like, sometimes people put cucumbers in sandwiches, and I'm like, ah, why? But when you put a pickle in a sandwich, you're like, oh my goodness, it elevates the sandwich. Anyways, what, what that signifies is that the identity of the pickle has now changed. It is no, I mean, yeah, the cucumber, it is no longer a cucumber, it is a pickle. And so when we're talking about the act of baptism or the announcement of baptism when we, throughout Scripture, what is referring to is the announcement of an identification change. That there is something that this person now no longer identifies with and now identifies with something new. So uh, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, uh, we see this kind of example to explain this. It says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, when we read this verse literally, it said, it, it, we can take it to say, to mean that you must believe and be baptized in order to have salvation. That you must uh, go through the act of baptism or else you're not saved. It's like both and. You, you have to believe and be baptized. But we know theologically that that is not correct. Right? You can be... You, all you need for salvation is to believe upon Jesus. And the reason why we know this is because the thief on the cross who, who you know, was crucified with Jesus, he was never baptized. And what Jesus says to him is, today you will be with me in paradise. Um, there, there are people who have genuine faith who may have not been baptized, whether it was due to ignorance or just because of the fact that they did not have the opportunity. Whether it's people who, who uh, uh, you know, accept Jesus in their deathbed. 
So the act of baptism in itself is not required. So what is this passage referring to? It's not referring to the act of baptism, but it's referring to the metaphorical reality that once you believe upon Christ, that there's a change in your identity. That you no longer identify with your old self, but you are identified with Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 2 says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, this is uh, Apostle Paul referring to the Exodus. And when we read this passage, it says, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, the question is, is were the people of Israel baptized? Like, were they immersed in a cloud and in the sea? No. The cloud was behind them as it separated them from the Egyptian army. And then the sea parted, uh, and they were not immersed in that sea. You can say the Egyptians were immersed. They were, they were literally baptized when the water came upon them, right? So what, what is Apostle Paul referring to? He's saying the people at that moment during the Exodus when they crossed the Red Sea, the people of Israel who were maybe a little reluctant to fully believe Moses, that he was a representative of God, at that moment their identity changed. Their identity changed in that they now were people who be believed that Moses was the prophet of God. So they're talking about a, a, a change of identity, an announcement that their identity is no longer what it used to be. So then the question is, why was the announcement of Jesus' baptism or why was the act of Jesus actually being baptized important for his identity and for ours? And, and the reality is, and the answer is this. Uh, and in the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, as it describes the encounter between John the Baptist and Jesus, it says this. In Matthew chapter 3, verse uh, 13 through 15, then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, and uh, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. All right, uh, let, let, us, let us, you know, be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So the question I had is, why would Jesus, who was without sin, right, if, why would he need to be baptized? And just like John, he, John correctly says, I need to be baptized by you. Why, why, why are you being baptized by me? And, and, and to answer that question, it, it's, it's the idea of not just a purification ritual or it's not just a religious act of being immersed in water that we're talking about here, but it's the idea that now Jesus is saying, I identify with something else. There's a change in my identity. And in order for Jesus to fully be the representative of all humanity, he needed to be baptized so that he can now identify along with us. That he is not just a distant God who sits above in heaven and says, all right, I'll come and save you guys. But he is the one who says, I am 100% God. I am 100% man. I have come down so that I can relate to you in a very tangible way. And by through this baptism, what is being announced 
is that he is the representative of all humanity. That he is not a distant God, but he is the God who has tabernacled with us. He is the word who has become flesh. And therefore, he says this to fulfill, or he does this to fulfill all righteousness. Because if Jesus does not identify with us, then his sacrifice cannot be put upon us. It cannot be applied to us. Every time an, a, a, a physical lamb or a, a, an animal was sacrificed, the priest would put his hands upon that animal and, and, and say a prayer to say that this animal now represents us in, our, uh, in, in, the, in the sacrifice. That when, he is sac- when this animal is sacrificed, he represents us. And in order for Jesus to be our representative, he needed to be baptized so that he now identifies with humanity. And these two things, the announcement of the title Lamb of God and the event of his baptism is an announcement of his identity, which now allows us to understand and know what our true identity is when we place our faith in him. And that goes to our our third and final point, the announcement of our baptism. See, when we place our faith in this anointed Messiah, in this Jesus, we find that our identity is not determined by what we think we are. It is not determined by what the world tells us. But our identity is determined by who Christ is and what he says we are now because of his sacrificial act. By his very being, by his very act of dying on the cross, we are now no longer those that are in sin. We are now no longer children of this world. We are children of God. So the third and final announcement by John the Baptist has to do with not only the work of Jesus, but also the effect that it has on us. Because it says, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, before we kind of, uh, you know, go get through what that actually means, I I, want to make a statement or make kind of a a comment about what the the baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean. Okay. I do want to mention that uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are, there are some uh, Christians, there are some uh, denominations that believe that this act or this event of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is separate from our salvation or from our, uh, you know, uh, us placing our faith in Jesus. That, and that, you know, the, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes when you are given the gift of tongues. Okay. Um, now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and salvation happen at the same time. When the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ is when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe perhaps that the gift of tongues still exists. I, I don't know. But the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not determined by the gift of tongues. Okay, I, so I do want to make that clear. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just erase that from, from your uh, memory, okay? But if that's a question that you have, I want to be very clear. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is given to everyone who places their faith in Jesus. And the evidence of that is your salvation. Nothing else. So when, Jesus, or when John talks about the fact that Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the question is, is, well, obviously this is metaphorical. 
right? There isn't like a, a pool of the Holy Spirit that you have to go to and then you like dive into and be like, aha, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's talking again about a change in your identity. That you no longer identify as part of the spirit of this world, but now you are identified with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That your, that your identity is based not upon the things that we find our identity in oftentimes in this world, but that your identity comes because of what who Christ is, the sacrifice he has made, and the Holy Spirit that comes down into us. Now, um, I think a lot of times the things that we struggle with is really figuring out and, and knowing who we are, right? Uh, figuring out uh, how we determine our identity or how we determine our worth. For many of us, uh, maybe we're still struggling with that, right? Uh, you know, I think oftentimes, especially here in the Silicon Valley, we, we try to find our identity through our career, uh, through, through our work. That if we are not successful according to what this world tells us, that our identity is, is, is not that good. Or perhaps you find your identity, um, you know, through your academics. That unless you are able to uh, achieve a certain degree or have certain things published or, or have a certain GPA. Does GPA matter? It does, right? Yeah. If you don't, you know, if you've you got to have a certain GPA, like, that, you know, you're not going to, your identity is worthless. You know, that unless you're able to finally fulfill um, the dream of your parents for you to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, uh, not a musician. You know, like that, that you will be finally able to, to live your life. Or perhaps you're not so caught up in the workplace. Maybe occupation and career is not a big deal to you. But you really want to be a good parent or you want to have a good family. Or, or, or you, and, and it, you know, if that does not happen in your life, you're like, well, what is my identity? Or maybe perhaps you are um, past that stage of your life and, and you are uh, an empty nester and you're wondering now, well, what is my identity now that all my kids are gone? And that's kind of a fear that I have as I, my kids get older. Like once they all leave, like who am I? What am I? You know, like what am I going to do? You know, that's why it's good to have hobbies, I guess. Or perhaps you find you're seeking your identity in, in a significant other, right? And, and you're wondering, like, well, if, if no one is accepting me in a romantic way, then, then what am I worth? Who, who am I actually? And so there's all these different things in this world that are telling us these lies that, the, that says in order for you to know who you are, in order for you to truly live your life, you have to identify yourself in these, in these ways and in these things. Your career, your financial status, your academics, your family, your friends, the amount of people who follow you on Instagram. or you know, There's all these different ways that we've, uh, the world tells us you need to identify yourself. But what the gospel says and the, what the, and the good news of the gospel tells us is that, no, your identity is not determined by these external factors of this world. Your identity is determined by a greater external factor, a gracious external factor, a savior and a God who was willing to come down and identify with you and sacrifice himself so that you may have life. 
to, to sacrifice himself so that you are no longer identified as one who is living in sin, but now you are identified as righteous, clean, pure, and an heir of God with Christ Jesus. And I think it is important for us to tell ourselves that and remind ourselves of that in order for us to truly live according to the eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus. You know, I found myself um, uh, kind of struggling this week uh, and, you know, a little bit of anxiety, uh, you know, a little bit of stress. I, I didn't really know uh, what I was going through, you know, and, and I, was, I was like, Christina, like, I'm not having a good week. And she's like, why? I was like, I don't know, you know, because I don't really deal with emotions really well. Uh, but I realized, you know, you know, thinking about what I was going through, that um, I was having a very difficult time coming up with a sermon. You know, and, and coming up with a sermon is kind of stressful. I always tell like this, like, if you had to come up with a new song every week and perform it live uh, in front of everybody, like an, uh, an original piece, an original song, and it, you, know, you don't want it to sound the same, you know, like th that's what coming up with a sermon is like, right? And, and uh, so I was dealing with that, and I realized um, that I was really bogged down with the idea of what is my identity? If it's not, if my identity is not a pastor, uh, you know, and, and my identity is based on, like, you know, how re uh, well-received uh, the sermon is or, you know, and how many people come to me after, like, oh, good job on your sermon today. You know, like, w then who am I? I'm, and I'm like, oh, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. You know, like, and I realized, no, those are all the lies that this world tells us. And because of that lie, on Thursday, I literally did nothing. I was just, I was like, Ugh. you know, like. I couldn't live my life. I was like, oh, I need to do something, but I couldn't. And I was like, oh, maybe I just need sunshine, you know, because someone told me sunshine is good for you. So I was like sitting outside, and it didn't help. But as, as I was meditating upon this passage and meditating upon what, what I wanted to communicate to you was when I finally, you know, it, it kind of clicked, you know, um, that I was so immersed in Gaining an identity based on my, my work or my skill that I had forgotten the very point of what this passage was speaking of. That our identity is based upon a Savior who came and sacrificed himself as he identified with all of humanity. Even when humanity rejected him, he identifies with us. So he can be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is this truth that we need to remind ourselves in order for us to live our lives according to the blessing that we have received in Christ. In order for us to truly live our lives as Christians, in order for us to truly live our lives for the kingdom of God, this is what we must be reminded of, our true identity in Christ.